Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Bill Martin, who has a long track record as a successful entrepreneur and investor with a particular focus on financial technology and software businesses. Bill is currently the chairman and chief investment officer of Raging Capital Management, a private investment partnership primarily focused on public equities that he founded in 2006. Raging Capital Management has compounded at 15% net of all fees and expenses since its founding through Q1 2021 and is well regarded for its small cap and activist investments, substantial alpha generation on the short side, and private investments. As an entrepreneur, Bill co-founded several successful financial technology companies, including Raging Bull and Insider Score. He also co-founded and is a senior advisor to Princeton Equity Group, a provider of growth equity to private companies. We hope you enjoy the show. So, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. Maybe what we could do to kick off for the benefit of our audience is hear a little bit about your background, and then we'll go into a little bit of your current investing. But we'll start off with some background, if that works. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me here, RJ. It's an honor. You know, I'm an entrepreneur and an investor. Like you, attended the University of Virginia, but got the entrepreneurial bug. So my, my early days had a strong passion for the stock market. Bought my first stock when I was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, when I was at the University of Virginia in the mid-90s, the internet was just starting to blossom. And so that led to my first company, which was called RagingBull.com, which grew to be a you know leading online finance site in the late 90s. Really just capitalized on what was going on with the internet and, and finance and uh, grew to be one of the leading sites in the late 90s. A little like a financial Twitter today or Reddit or WSB. It was kind of a fun time then. But just gained a tremendous amount of experience, uh, raised my first VC round when I was 19, and uh, we ended up raising over $20 million in total for that business before we sold it in early 2000. So from there, uh, moved to the Princeton area and you launched an independent research business, which grew into two things. One was insiderscore.com, which was an institutional data analytics business used by hedge funds and mutual funds that had a really nice run with, and we ended up selling that to a private equity firm actually the end of last year. And then the other business was Raging Capital, which was a long, short you know, hedge fund that I launched in 2006 and uh, grew to almost a billion of assets at its peak. I had a nice 15-year run, compounded north of 15% net of all fees and expenses over that time, and I made a decision last year to actually wind that down. So in short, you know, kind of touches on uh, you know, some of the things I like to focus on. Yeah, no, it's incredible because it's rare that we see someone who's been able to navigate both entrepreneurship and investing successfully and in, in, in a major scale. I'd like to go back to kind of the UVA days because it is, you know, unique that you left the university to start and it was, you know, the right call because it was the right time. Not many people were kind of really pursuing aggressively their entrepreneurial vision. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that time and how you were able to make the decision to kind of pursue Raging Bull? Sure. You know, it was an interesting time. I was never a, a programmer or a coder, but I had a lot of friends who were, and I was online pretty early. And to me, it just, when I was online the first time, the power just hit me. 
you know, I remember, even though I'm a fairly young guy, I still remember as a teenager driving to the public library to read value lines to research stocks, which that data often was months old, right? And so immediately when I saw the potential of the internet, real-time information, the business idea struck me <laughs> and uh, was fortunate to have, you know, some friends who were good partners in crime. And we hired a couple of really talented programmers and, you know, the rest was kind of history. But I think, you know, Virginia, there was a really good ecosystem there, you know, got a lot of support for that decision. And to me, you know, one of the things I guess think about as an entrepreneur is it, it does pay to be a little young and naive, right? And mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, the idea that we could build this over summer vacation and accomplish what we did, you would never do that knowing what we know today, right? But it's, uh, it pays to be young and naive. Well, you know, in, in raising 20 million bucks during that time, I mean, this is like over 20 years ago, that's, that's a big, you know, sum of money. What do you think was it? Obviously, there was a lot of capital being deployed, but maybe not in, in that magnitude, you know, for a couple guys out of college or still in college. But, you know, what do you think it was about the idea that really gravitated to investors? Well, it, it was uh, the site did a few things. You know, part of it was data. We were one of the first sites to have free real-time stock quotes, for example, you know, charting, all that stuff. But the real core of it was a community and people came to Raging Bull to talk stocks. And so a real network effect there, again, just like you see with Wall Street Bats or Reddit, you know, late 90s, similar to today, there was a lot of, you know, passion and interest in the market. And, you know, our revenues ramped very quickly because we were kind of ground zero for customer acquisition for a lot of the online brokerages and what have you. And then we were also fortunate to have some really good backers early on. You know, Dave Weatherall, who was CEO of, of CMGI, which was a you know, high-flying incubator back in the day, but he was chairman of our board and you know, took a personal interest and took us under his wing. So just uh, you know, lucky. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll, we'll head into the investing side, which is you know, a little bit more recent. So how did you kind of make the decision to transition into investing and doing so in a major, at a major scale? Great question. I mean, I think my plan all along was, was the market. That was my true first love. And I had a few of these entrepreneurial detours with Raging Bull and Insider Score. And you know, along the way, uh, was an early investor in Gerson Lehrman Group and Majestic, which turned into M-Science. But they were all that common theme of investing and leveraging technology to do it better. And so my destination from an early age was to be an investor. That's what I wanted to do. And, you know, launching the fund was kind of the logical next step for me. And did you always, given that your beginnings were in tech, did you always kind of like pay more attention to that sector over others? Or were you fairly kind of broad based when you were investing with uh, raising capital? Yeah, it's interesting. My early investing mentors were much more value-oriented, you know, guys like Michael Price and Seth Klarman and, and the like. And so that was my kind of initial approach to the, the market. But you know, obviously, growing up as an entrepreneur around technology, seeing those businesses, I played in a lot of those companies. And so I effectively kind of fused the two. And so overall, we were very eclectic. We looked at a lot of different industries, but obviously, we did a lot of investing in tech. But in kind of a value way, often in a hands-on way, you know, we would get involved with companies going on boards, working as activists to turn them around. So just kind of fusing the two. And what is it that you typically look for? I mean, there's probably no two situations which are identical, but you know, what are kind of the elements that you look for? And we could do this like based 
previously and then today, what you're most interested in, what you spend most time in? Sure. I mean, one thing I like to do is, you know, I kind of collect interesting companies, whether they have a balance sheet attribute or a particular CEO or director I like, or they're playing in a technology space. And, you know, over the years, you build a library of hundreds and hundreds of companies and you keep tabs on them and you kind of pull on threads and you connect the dots, right? And I actually think being an entrepreneur and being an investor is very synergistic in that, you know, one of the things I really like to do is just put myself myself in the shoes of the CEO or, or board of a company and really try to think about if I were running this company, what would I do, right? What are the competitive realities? How do I grow this thing? If I invest more in sales and product, like what are the opportunities? Can I merge with someone just what are the realities? And even just running that thought experiment and being a little out of the box and being mm-hmm. a little creative, it's amazing kind of that framework you can develop. And, you know, I think a lot more is predictive and predictable than you may think initially. And so I know you're involved in a lot of different industries. I think you, you know a lot about different industries. What do you think about, you know, maybe I'll just throw one out there. What do you think about uh, blockchain technology? What do you think about crypto? <laughs> well, you know, I think one of the, the best parts of the investing business is if you're intellectually curious, it does allow you to learn every single day, right? It's the multivariable equation you can never quite solve. And you do just gain knowledge about so many different companies and industries. So that's a hot area. <laughs> you know, a lot of mind share, like all of us kind of trying to wrap my head around what's going on there. You know, I struggle with something like Bitcoin being this, this store of value. I'm, I'm kind of old fashioned there. I'd rather have some gold bars you know, buried in the backyard than be reliant on the, the internet network or the NSA doing you know, what have you. But uh, mm-hmm. I do think some of the technologies, particularly from a financial technology point of view of you know, making payments more seamless, emerging markets, some of the opportunities there, you know, I think are really, really interesting. And you know, I've been fortunate to have invested in some funds that have exposure to companies like NIDIG and a few others where a lot happening there. And when you see guys like you know, Andreessen, I try to listen to everything, for example, something like Andreessen Horowitz and Dixon, what they're talking about, right? Because they're the thought leaders. Well, you're at a, a stage where it's kind of, you know, a lot of people would be envious. You've had kind of your entrepreneurial ventures and you know, you've had your kind of investing ventures, which are still going on. How do you kind of like balance your, your time these days? What most interests you? Sure. Well, it is an interesting time for me. I mean, really for the first time in my adult life and even my, <laughs> even from a young age, like I kind of own my time having sold a business and uh, decided to wind the fund down. So I will say as a strong German tendencies, that's a, not necessarily the most comfortable place for me, but I'm really trying to just kind of take it one day as it comes. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm having a lot of fun. I do spend a lot of time still in the public markets. What's great is I've got a 15 years of accumulated knowledge. And now with a smaller base of capital, like the flexibility and nimbleness I have is really refreshing, you know, without that institutional construct. And then I think on the private and the entrepreneurial side, have just a lot more time to build relationships there. You know, there's so much capital chasing entrepreneurial ventures today that, you know, I think the key is, you know, how do you get access? And for me, it's, it's building those one-on-one relationships with fellow entrepreneurs and, and sharing some of the experience and knowledge that I have with them. This whole area of private investing has been a, a really interesting one. We've seen it like 
balloon over the last couple of decades, and it's still going. You know, the private side is is really expanding. You know, and, and since you've kind of you're a, an entrepreneurial thinker, you know, and I know you've kind of dabbled in some of these platforms that are out there that give access into private companies. You know, and there's many of them now. There's Our Crowd. There's you know Alumni Ventures, which is I think run out of New Hampshire. I could name others, but any thoughts? Where do you see it going? You're heavily involved in this private investing and in, in early and growth stage. Do you ever see it being further democratized? Certainly. It's amazing how the tools have evolved and gotten better and better. You know, I've been, after playing with it years ago, like just recently joined another angel list, you know, syndicate and just seeing the deal flow and how seamless they make the whole experience. I think very powerful, very compelling for sure. And really over the last 10 years, it's remarkable how the, the capital markets on the private side have developed. You know, one of the investments we made at Raging Capital was in Facebook early on. And uh, we were buying that stock when it was still a private company back in 2010. And that was pre-Jobs Act. So we had to, you know, literally navigate cap table issues. And we didn't have all the financial data on the company. And so it's pretty remarkable how that's evolved. At the same time, (laughs) as someone who's been a short seller for a good chunk of my career as well, I mean, there's a, a lot of fluff out there. There's a lot of froth. And you know, certainly kind of the uh, the doctors and dentist community, like there's a lot of money chasing, you know, the next deal on these platforms. So mm-hmm. I try to be a little more selective and apply my filter, I guess. Right. Okay. Switching gears a little bit. There's a couple questions I typically like to ask folks on this. I guess this gets into Bill, uh, the person and your experiences is still veering on the professional side, but could you tell us about a, you know, a challenging time you face? It could have been you know, in those early years at UVA, while you were embarking with Raging Bull, it could have been afterwards founding other businesses or really deliberating about your decision to start investing, you know, more broad scale, or even more recently in a director situation. Any, it could be really anything, but could you yeah. tell us yeah. a challenging time? And, and uh, when you look back on it, you think, you know, I'm kind of proud of, or, or maybe it could be a situation which you're not proud of, but typically people like to think of ones that they are proud of and they got through it and, and learned a lot from it. Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, the dot-com crash was interesting, but, you know, I had no family. I didn't have a wife. I was a young guy and so shook that off pretty quickly and just bounced back and went to the next thing. But 2008 was a little different in that, you know, I had two young businesses, you know, Insider Score and Raging Capital. You know, I had a young marriage, just a few years old also. I had a, a one-year-old and another one, you know, on the way. And sitting there in October of 08 with, the fund down 30% plus and the financial world crumbling, you know, hard pressed to really think of a <laughs> more stressful time. And I, I do think through that period, there were definitely some deer in the headlight, a few of those weeks, just struggling through it. And I remember coming to the office, hoping something would change and hoping the market would go up and what have you, which, you know, I, I don't know when the moment was, but for me, it clicked that hoping was not what I did, <laughs> that, you know, I needed to regain the initiative. I needed to go back on the offense. And that was very positive for us. And, you know, kind of that November 08 timeframe, you know, I think literally like half of our portfolio was trading for below cash. I mean, it was a total wipeout, right? But, you know, we made a bunch of adjustments. We took some losses. We focused on new ideas. And fortunately, my daughter came along in December of 08, which coincided with a bottom in our portfolio. and 
in 2009, even during you know Q1 when the market dropped another 25%. Going on the offense, we actually were up every single month in 09 as a fund, and we're up well over 100% that year. And so a real kind of turning point for our business, but just again, like take initiative, own it. Yeah, you know, what I always find interesting is, you know, when you're an entrepreneur or investor, and, and if you're the head of your fund, sometimes it could be like a somewhat lonely place in that, you know, all the weight is kind of resting on on your shoulders. Was, was there anything that going back to that time where you must have had your thoughts racing about how to kind of come out of this spin, but was there something key that you learned about kind of how to operate in those times? Yeah, you drink a bottle of red wine on a good day, <laughs> on a bad day. You know? <laughs> you know, I've just been fortunate to have been blessed. Like I, I'm comfortable making decisions and kind of living with them. And certainly in the investment business, uh, where even on a good day, like there's stuff in the portfolio that isn't going right, right? You, you have to be able to compartmentalize and kind of move on and live with those decisions. So mm. you know, I think that's, fortunately, I've just been blessed with that. But I, you know, I think the other thought is just, investing, being an entrepreneur, like those are athletic endeavors in my mind, right? And how do you take care of your body? Like get the sleep, get the exercise so you burn the stress. How do you position your your personal life so you can manage the ups and downs, right? And so you don't have a big mortgage, you don't have a big cost structure. You know, some of those other stresses, like how do you manage them so you can really go and, and play hard on the field? Mm-hmm. Last question, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in your answer to this one because of how you got started fairly young in your career. Is there someone that you think of, that someone you admire who, when you're making decisions, you think, how would this person frame this problem, frame the situation? How would they, where would they come out in terms of the decision? Is there someone you, you kind of think of highly in that regard and, and really kind of channel them as you're making really tough decisions? Yeah, there is. And, you know, going back to the University of Virginia connection, Michael Bills, who runs a firm called Blue Stem, is definitely one of those people for me. I was fortunate to have met him early on. I actually interviewed for a job at Tiger with him when I was still at UVA. He had uh, had a very successful career at Tiger with Julian Robertson, but uh, chose to leave Tiger in the big city and move back to Charlottesville, taught at UVA, ran the endowment for a period of time, got involved with things like the Nature Conservancy, which he you know, had a passion for. So just really respected his work-life balance. Launched Blue Stem, which has been an incredibly successful fund of funds. He invests the way I would invest. You know, he's, he's concentrated. He, he bets on people. And he was a you know, great partner for Region Capital over the years. But, you know, I think the thing that's most impressive about Michael is, and it's also a difficult one, but he's just so intellectually pure and intellectually honest and very focused on alignment. And um, I just think about meetings I had had with him over the years where an answer you might give to, to an ordinary person, maybe slightly political or a half answer or a little bit of spin, like just never would get by Michael. You know, he'd stop you and say, well, what do you really mean? What are you really saying here? What are you trying to do? And just having that alignment is powerful. And, uh, you know, he's been a little angel on my shoulder. Anytime I have a tough decision, always think of him and how he would ask the question and how would I answer it? Yeah, you know, it brings me to when I saw you the other day and we were chatting, I'd mentioned how it's really impressive how you've kind of built businesses and and had partnerships with with close friends of yours and they've lasted and and they've done really well and people think, 
very highly of you. And that's not an easy thing, but you, and I asked you like, well, how do you, have you been able to do that? And you did mention it's just being intellectually honest whenever you encounter, you know, maybe a conflict, the different viewpoints. Is that kind of like one of your key tenets of how you operate? Yeah, I mean, definitely Michael Bills is an influence there. How do you be the honest broker? How do you shoot straight, right? And, you know, I've been fortunate over the years to have, you know, a lot of partnerships and friendships that have had good long durations. And um, yeah, there's ups and downs in those relationships like anything else. But I think when the other person knows that you're, you are being intellectually honest, you are being an honest broker, and you're just trying to call it as you see it, I think counts towards a lot. I think the other thing that really helps is just, and I've really benefited from this, is just investing in relationships over a long period of time. Even when they're not kind of obvious, you know, I've been fortunate. I've kind of collected interesting people and compelling people and have worked hard to stay in touch with them and have worked hard to add value to them in ways where it wasn't necessarily clear how I was getting paid back. It was just, yeah, you put it out there and 10, 20, 30 years down the road, something good might might happen back to you. Excellent. Well, I, I think that's a great note to end on. It's one that I definitely agree with. Bill, thank you so much for spending time with us. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thanks, RJ. Good luck with everything.